Welcome to the 318th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney, and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Thank you for listening. Welcome. I hope you all are well and enjoying the last few days of summer. I've got a race coming up here in a little less than two weeks, the San Antonio 50K, so I'm hoping for perhaps a little cooler weather than weather than we have in Florida, but who knows, you know, it's a looped course, so stay hydrated, take it easy, and uh, it's going to be more of a training run just to get us used to the trails since we don't have much trail, many in the way of, much in the way of trail training, I should say, around here, so there you have it. Then we have our swim run in November, and then it's the CIM Marathon in December, so a lot of good things are happening. We are also six months out officially from the Treasure Coast Marathon in March, and we are going to have a crew there from the Jamie Delaney Whole Food plant-based wellness practice and surrounding people. So if you have any desire to run your first marathon, this is the place to go. Uh, Check it out. It's Treasure Coast Marathon. It's in March. You got six months to go, so it's time to start your training, but plenty of time to ramp it up. Uh, To join us, there's also a relay, so if you have a buddy that you want to do a relay with, that's that's an option as well. If you want to do the relay and you don't have a buddy, uh, you can contact us, and we'll try to find you a buddy, uh, perhaps, to run that race with you. So just telling you, we're going to have a big crew there, so get ready. So COVID cases appear to be rising in some states. We actually are starting to do a dip down here. Schools started. Everybody's worried about the kids. Kids are going to have to mask. Uh, I think that's horrible. Um, yes, if you have, if you're diseased, then fine. But, you know, kids have done well spreading their germs and not getting terribly ill. Um, they've got great immune systems. If they're sick, they shouldn't go to school, but, you know, kids need to learn, and they need to learn to interact with each other. They need to learn not to be fearful. They need to learn facial expression uh, and what that means. Um, Our minority kids are getting even further behind for not being in school. Online programs were dumbed down to let the parents get the kids, you know, through a school year, so I just think that kids need to be kids, go back to school. There's a a private school in Miami that they've never worn masks. Nobody's got infected. They're doing well. They've never social distanced. The kids are kids are thriving. So I think we need to let our kids thrive. But I also think we need to talk about increasing the improving the health of our children, and that's something that's not done. You know, it's um, suggested to pediatricians that they monitor not body mass index but growth charts for kids, and if they're you know, over the 90th percentile address some of these issues. And all you have to do is look around, and the obesity in our young children population is increasing dramatically. And there, you know, after Addie and I took the trip from Houston to Florida, there are food deserts. There are places where um, there are a lot of family dollars and dollar trees where you can get cheap meals and uh, other stores that... Lack good good produce. Um, you can get it if you're educated enough to know where to find it and you want it. But you know, cheap food uh, often presents itself as subsidized food and fast foods. 
and kids are becoming obese and they're becoming very ill. Um, if you think about it, when you eat fast food, it's genetically modified. Soybean oil, um, a lot of the foods are genetically modified. There's a lot of pesticides. There's certainly no organic. Um, kids go back to school on Lunchables and SpaghettiOs and greasy pizza, and there's a tremendous amount of oil in the diet. Very few and very little in the way of whole grains and fruit and beans. Most recently, the federal government has increased the SNAP dollars to uh, by 21%. And that adds $145 per family. And they describe a family of two adults and two children. And they there is such a thing uh, called a thrifty food plan. And they suggest how the diet should be broken down. But the reality of it is now families, two people, two, um, two parents, two children, $835.57 per month. That breaks down to $208.89 per week. And the thrifty food plan by the government suggests that they have 24% vegetables, 14% fruits, 16% grains, 25% protein, 14% dairy, and 7% miscellaneous. So I went to the Instacart Walmart shopping, and I did a food cart for what I think is a healthy um, food cart, and then I did one that I would guess people do, thinking that it is cheap food cart. So I did a food cart from Walmart, that cost $150.29. With that, I, I got only organic food, so I had four pounds of organic grapes, 10 pounds of white potatoes, 20 ounces of organic grape tomatoes, five 29-ounce cans of Hunt's no-salt organic tomato sauce, three heads of organic cauliflower, three heads of organic broccoli, 4.4 pounds of uh, corn masa, 10 pounds of bread flour, seven bags of frozen vegetables, three eight ounce bags of the mini peppers, one head of organic cabbage, four boxes of organic tofu, four 32 ounce boxes of elbow macaroni, one gallon of almond milk, 20 pounds of jasmine rice, 20 pounds of pinto beans. So I figured you can make bread, sourdough bread, right? Uh, bread flour, salt, water. Um, I got enough potatoes that you could make potatoes several times a week. Um, the rice obviously will last more than a month. So this is, you know, my, I, again, $150.29 for that, that grocery cart. I still would have had another um, $50 to spend it could have been my miscellaneous items. Um, obviously, there's no toiletries or paper products there, but just good organic food, $150.29, quite a lot of food. Obviously, you'll have to cook your own rice. You'll have to cook your own beans. Those were, um, you know, uh, uh, they hunt the uh, dry beans, so you have to, to soak them. Cook your own elbow macaroni. You have tomatoes to put on those, peppers. I didn't have any mushrooms in there. You could add those in my miscellaneous, but... I think you'll agree with me that that's a pretty good variety of organic fruits and vegetables and whole grain.
Now let's compare that to um, $155.22 spent on six Supreme uh, frozen pizzas. Um, nine pounds of uh, hamburger patties, five Lunchables, seven SpaghettiOs, three uh, Lucky Charms boxes, chicken nuggets, hamburger helper, tomato sauce, and I, and I kept the three broccolis, three bags of peppers, all organic, one, one cabbage, uh, the pasta, the almond milk, added apples, watermelon, and banana in there. Oh, and my other, my other uh, cart also had the apples, walnut, watermelon, and banana. So you can see that there's not near as much food, there's not near as much fiber, there's a tremendous amount of sodium. When you look at Hamburger Helper these days, you know, back when I was growing up, uh, there was a lot of the tomato, the tomato sauce was missing, but it has 470 milligrams of sodium for a third cup. Uh, there's 10 servings in a box. Again, you have to add your own hamburger and, and tomato sauce if you want. So there's quite a change. There's very little fiber in what I talked about other than the broccoli and the, the vegetables there, but the pizza, Supreme Pizza, not going to have much in the way of fiber, the hamburger, Lunchables. A lot of salt, a lot of oil, uh, Lucky Charms versus oats, oatmeal. Um, again, you know, uh, my other cart also had um, 32 ounces of oatmeal uh, box in it. Not much in the way of antioxidants, you know, so it's a very inflammatory diet, a very high-calorie diet. And um, you can see why kids are getting sick if they're eating those things. Um, school lunches aren't much better, you know, full dairy, lots of cheese, oily, uh, oily sandwiches with a, they do breakfast, uh, at our local school. It's, um, you know, breakfast burritos. There's not much in the way of oatmeal, um, very little way, way of greens. So we're setting our kids up to get infected. We're also setting our kids up not to be able to learn. Uh, your brain runs on glucose. You need a good glucose load, some good carbohydrates in the morning. Obviously, there's not much there as far as the Lucky Charms, just a bunch of sugar that's going to go right through a kid. So you can see how our kids are becoming more susceptible to colds and inf infections and, and not doing well. Uh, it's not because that they need a vaccine that increases the risk of myocarditis or other bad things, but they need to be more healthy. There was a study published in August in the Journal of American Medical Association looking at um, the body mass index of children aged 7 to 10 in Austria uh, with COVID and, you know, what they found in 764 primary school children aged 7 to 10 is that, um, you know, again, the body mass index over the period of time from September of 19 to September of 20 has gone up, boys actually worse than girls. So while we could have been making our children more healthy, we put them inside, decreased their immune, their immune function by hiding them inside, not getting them outside, increasing their body mass index, making them more susceptible when they finally do go back to school to get more infections. What can you do? Again, it is education of people. And, you know, if you put good food in front of kids, they're going to eat it. So just saying a kid won't eat something is not, a, not an excuse. There's no reason for kids not to go outside, especially in the summertime. So getting kids active and healthy, um, you know, if they're 
sport programs have been canceled. And I know a lot of them haven't, but if the sports programs have been canceled, then, you know, it's time for parents to step up and, you know, go back to the old days. When I was young, in the evening, my mother would uh, often be part of our neighborhood pickup softball games, you know, and there'll be another, another parent involved in, you know, some of the games or riding bikes with kids and going out and doing things, learning to play tennis, teaching your own kids. Uh, tennis or golf or hiking, um, cycling, skateboarding. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's real important. Basketball, get out with your kids and, and having them exercise. If they're being homeschooled, then, you know, it's good. It's, it would have been a good opportunity for parents and kids alike to get out and have recess and have playtime. Good bonding for the kids, good bonding for the parents. Not too late, but we need to start. And the sodium content in these processed food is, is huge. You know, the American Heart Association recommends a maximum of 1,500 milligrams of adults. They, they slide that up to 2,200 milligrams in kids. Addie and I talked about that. But these meals are, are going way over that very easy. So you have increased volume. Um, this, you know, if you have taken increased salt, your body's going to retain more water. And, and kids are becoming hypertensive to fat, high cholesterol, fat, diabetes, um, so we're just setting ourselves up and, and hoping that somebody's going to bail us out and, and give us a magic bullet, but we're, we're creating diabetes and hypertension at, at a wild rate, um, as well as decreasing our immune function of our young kids. If kids like tacos, you can make tacos out of tofu, right? So you just freeze a box of tofu, then you can thaw it really quick on a quick, quick thaw in the microwave or a quick thaw in, in a pan of warm water, uh, squeeze the water out of it and crumble it up on a cookie sheet with some parchment paper, season it up with tacos, spices, or if you like meatballs, Italian spices, oregano and basil, a little pepper and garlic and bake that in the oven, can make it even um, step it up a notch add some mushrooms in there, diced up. Now you have taco meat or you have a, a meat for your spaghetti sauce. Kids won't know. You can take tofu and cut it up into chunks and marinate it various ways, make it like an egg. Uh, can we do eggless salad with tofu? You can do barbecued tofu. You can bread it in a little rice flour and um, you know make it, make it more Asian. Uh, with a little seasoning to it. So there's lots of things you can do with bites for kids. It warms up good. Uh, it's good for school lunches. Hummus is another good thing for kids, making your own so the oil's down. You can add some veggies to that. It's a good dip. So there's a lot of different things you can do, um, like Addie mentioned on a previous podcast. There's a lot of good website for uh, young people and plant-based foods. But we got to focus on getting our kids healthy. There was an increased uh, incidence of suicide in teenagers through this COVID thing. They're isolated. They're away from their friends. People say things on social media that they shouldn't say, or they don't. They are losing social skills because they're not face to face. All these things are worse than um, the COVID is among children. So, you know, it's not all about the infection numbers. It's it's also about some of these other numbers and overall health and long term. Um, adverse effects on kids as far as their education, social skills, and, and whatnot. So moving on, newly, nosed, newly diagnosed diabetics, um, there was a study done, and they um, 
looked at the addition study in Cambridge. They had 867 people. It's a population-based program. And they enrolled the diabetics uh, to follow them uh, over a period of time. They, um, patients were entered 2002 to 6, and they followed them through 2014. And they looked at the intake of fiber, the intake of fat, and the intake of vitamin C. And they divided that up into quartiles of the highest intakes and the lowest intakes. And then they looked at cardiovascular events. So in that follow-up period, there were 126 cardiovascular events. Of those, 31 were deaths, 21 were heart attacks, 33 were strokes, 40% had vascular, um, revascularization procedures, and there was one amputation. Um, no doubt the people that smoked did worse, but the people in the highest fat quartile also did much worse than the people in the lowest fat quartile. The people that had the highest vitamin C intake did best. The highest fiber intake did best. And you're like, well, that's not really uh, much of a brainer. Sometimes I look at some of these studies and it's like, oh, okay, we're kind of proving a moot point here. We all know that a whole food plant-based diet is much better for the health of people that are diabetics and to actually reverse or put diabetes into remission. So, you know, the first thing that I can see as a takeaway here is, again, high-fat ketogenic diets. Uh, we know that if you just eat fat and you measure somebody's blood glucose, it will be low because they're not taking in any fat. Their hemoglobin A1C over time will drop because they're not taking any, any fat. But the mechanism of diabetes is blocking the uptake of glucose through fat blocking the uptake in the muscle receptor. So there's fat particles all around those receptors that cause the receptors not to work as well and glucose um, doesn't go into the cell as easy, and you need more insulin, that's the mechanism of diabetes. So if you're eating a ketogenic diet, you're not eating much glucose, your hemoglobin A1C may drop, but you're continuing to pound up and pour up and, it, and uh, deteriorate those receptors with fat. So by the time you do break and uh, have some glucose, have some fruit, have some vegetables, have some whole grains, then your glucose will jump way up. And people say, well, see, that tells you that eating carbohydrates cause diabetes to be worse. Well, no, it's just that you've caused your, your receptors to be much worse eating a ketogenic diet. They're blocked even more with fat, and then when you eat glucose, it's much worse. So again, this is another way to look at that, that point. Uh, looking through nutrition, basically people that ate the highest quartile, the highest amount of fat, had the um, worst outcomes with their diabetes. Fiber only comes from plants. So increasing fiber feeds good gut microbes, decreases inflammation, decreased so you can therefore infer that with a decrease in inflammation of decreased cardiovascular events, decreased stroke, um, better immune health, less infections, less risk of amputation, just by increasing the fiber content in the diet, whole food, plant-based. So extra fruit in the morning, whole grain cereal, I like to have my diabetic patients have less grains, more fruit, some chia seeds for the omega-3s, and chia seeds carry a little protein. They carry some fat, but not a horrendous amount. And um, then lunch, big giant green salad, lots of vegetables. I like beans or a whole grain. In most people, it should be either or, just because of the uh, density.
you can start to get a pretty high caloric intake if you're adding beans and a grain to a lunch salad because I like a big giant salad, lots of greens, whole pepper, whole cucumber, onions, uh, carrots, artichokes, you know, anything you can think of to put in a salad and then uh, a grain or a bean. You can do a grain and a bean sometimes, but just be uh, aware of the caloric density that you start to get into and then have some fruit afterwards. So again, we're having lots of fiber. A cup of fruit, about one gram of fiber. Uh, a cup of beans, um, or half a cup of beans, um, you're, now you're talking three, four, five grams of fiber, and then a cup of vegetables, a cup of greens, one, about two grams of fiber. So that's uh, kind of a rough estimate of um, fiber in a plant-based diet. What about vitamin C? Again, comes back to fruit. Watermelon, papaya, citrus fruit, mangoes, most fruits have vitamin C. Lunch, you know, broccoli salad. Um, again, a lot of greens have, everything has a little bit of vitamin C, but peppers are very high in vitamin C. Tomatoes, very high in vitamin C. And then uh, your dinner vegetables that are higher in vitamin C, again, hitting the fruits uh, both at lunch and dinner. So that increases your vitamin C intake. When I had COVID, I tried to get my vitamin C levels up to a therapeutic range in the, in the arena of 20 grams, which was very difficult. I couldn't do that um, just eating whole, whole fruits and vegetables, so I did take a supplement. If you don't think you can get in that many um, greens, I'm sorry, vegetables and in, in vitamin C-containing fruits, then uh, a vitamin C supplement might not be a bad idea. It can't hurt you. Um, people worry about their skin and actually vitamin C plays a role in collagen formation. If you eat collagen, it's not going to go to your skin, but if you eat vitamin C, it will, do, it will help with the reaction to help your skin. The side effects of eating this way is going to be a higher urine pH, uh, so improved bladder health, decreased inflammation, selection of uh, gut microbiome that is more healthy, less... Um, immune, a less, uh, less inflammatory. So um, all good. You can see why you know, decreased cardiovascular events, uh, decreased strokes. What about eating what you want and taking a vitamin C and some Metamucil? Um, doesn't really work that way. Again, we said the increased fat in the diet increases cardiovascular events and the highest quartile. You're also causing an oxidation that blocks the nitric oxide that would normally be produced by the greens. So it's not a trade-off. You can't take the pills and then just eat a crappy diet. So through diet, if you need to supplement a little bit with your diet, fine. But uh, substituting poor foods and then hoping that vitamins will take care of it, not going to work. So I want to end again on what you can do as far as um, surviving any infection, uh, whether it's a pneumococcal pneumonia or bronchitis or a COVID infection or, uh, um, you know, any illness or surgery, um, the best thing to do is have good lung function. And to have good lung function, you actually have to be able to breathe right and exercise your lungs. For starters, um, I've had Patrick McEwen, um, I'm sorry, Patrick McGowan on the podcast before talking about the oxygen advantage. If you're breathing very shallowly and rapidly, you're blowing off carbon dioxide. When you blow off carbon dioxide, 
you can't release oxygen into your tissues by what's called the Bohr effect. So you can have an oxygen saturation that's 98%, but it's not going to really get to your tissues because you're blowing off the carbon dioxide and the oxygen stays stuck to your hemoglobin molecule. That results in a decrease in metabolism uh, because to burn fat, we need more oxygen. So you're not getting as much oxygen. You're going to burn more carbohydrate. Um, also, um, a rapid respiration, uh, again, is going to make uh, the pH start to go up a little bit. And with that, your kidneys will turn on and start to retain um, acids so that it can normalize the pH. Typically, that occurs as a result of, again, you start leaching calcium out of the, out of the bone to start to neutralize things, and um, you get into problem on, on that aspect of things. When people get sick or their oxygen goes down for whatever reason, if they're in heart failure and they get more water in their lungs or they have a pneumonia and they start breathing rapidly and they have been shallow rapid breathers when they were not ill, they fatigue quickly. So we start to see people um, wear out quicker. They can't keep that um, huffing and puffing going for uh, a long period of time. If you've ever been a runner and you've uh, gone out and you've sprinted or you run too fast, and a lot of people say they can't run because they do start too fast and they start breathing very rapidly. And the next thing you know, they have to stop because um, they, they wear out. They just too much fatigue, too much work of this hard breathing. It's not that your oxygen um, goes down, but Again, you're not delivering oxygen to the tissues. The acid goes up in your, in your bloodstream, and, and you ultimately stop. In people that are severely overweight, they also have what's called restrictive lung disease, meaning that it's much more difficult for them to take an effective breath. Um, think that, you know, when we do the swim run, we wear wetsuits, and if the wetsuit, even though it's not that thick, it restricts the expansion of your chest wall and it kind of rebounds back and you have that sensation that you can't get a really good deep breath. You can unzip it if you're a smart person and allow yourself to take a better breath. The other thing you can try if you don't have a wetsuit is lay down on your back and put a bunch of books on your chest and breathe up and down or a very heavy blanket or have somebody sit on your chest and try to breathe up and down. Um, that is the weight of extra mass that people have to endure every day that are overweight. They have this excess of body mass over their chest cavity, which they have to move with every breath. When people are overweight, it shifts the way they sit, and often they lean backwards, and their diaphragm, instead of being centered well over the spine, they're, um, it's, it's angled more of a 45 degree, and it's, and it's more difficult to have the diaphragm uh, put into play. So people tend to breathe with their upper lung and neck muscles. So you'll see people's chest go up, their upper chest go up and down. Maybe their shoulders are go up and down. You'll see the muscles in the neck start to move. They're not using their diaphragm at that point. So they're taking rapid, shallow breaths using the upper, upper um, lung muscles. So they're never exercising the diaphragm, which is also a muscle. The other thing you can try is breathe through a straw. When you breathe through a straw, there's more resistance. So you have to use the muscles of your, uh, between your ribs, your intercostal muscles more to um, actually get the air in through the straw because of the restricted um, pathway. 
that's why people don't like to breathe through their nose because when you breathe through their mouth, it's a, it's a shorter distance from your mouth to your trachea than it is from your nose to the trachea. There's more resistance and people fatigue and get lazy and they breathe through their mouth because the, the air just kind of, kind of floats in without much effort. When people get a stuffy nose or a deviated septum, again, that same thing happens. They breathe through their mouth. They're blowing a lot more carbon dioxide off. They hang on to more oxygen. Less oxygen is delivered to the tissues. The other thing you can do, same thing, breathe rapidly in and out uh, very quickly. You know, you can look at your watch, try to breathe 30 times in a minute. One, you start to have fatigue of the rib, rib muscles, and you also start to get a little dizzy because you're blowing off carbon dioxide. You're delivering less, less oxygen to your brain. If you were to keep doing that, again, you'd have shifts in your, in your pH of your blood. So the other thing that happens when people lay down um, all that fluid and lymph that go into the skin and the uh, subcutaneous tissues by gravity as you're upright, when you lay down, you start to resorb that. So all of a sudden the blood volume uh, starts to increase and that makes it more difficult for the heart to pump that extra blood volume. So that is, uh, we, we call that um, paroxysmal nocturnal dyspnea. Uh, where people lie back and they uh, all of a sudden start to have this extra fluid. They start to breathe rapidly and they have to sit up to breathe. And that also happens in people that are overweight. Um, when they lay back, they start to absorb that fluid again. Then they have to work harder to breathe because of the increased volume. So this is all without being ill. Um, it's much more difficult to breathe if you're overweight from the get-go. Now add on to it an infection, uh, a fever where the heart rate goes up and the brainstem increases your heart rate, increases your respiration rate. Now they're breathing more heavy, more often, and delivering less oxygen to their tissues. The other thing that happens is this, this respiratory muscle fatigue starts to set in. They become acidotic, um, and people uh, over, and then they start to actually not breathe effectively. So they actually start to accumulate carbon dioxide. And that's when we know people are starting to wear out or tire and we have to put them on mechanical ventilation. So with COVID, a lot of um, hospitals have gotten a lot of grief. They said, you know, put people on ventilators way too soon. It doesn't really help. The problem is there's not much, there's not much uh, left in the way of alternatives when people become so fatigued from trying to breathe that they can no longer regulate their pH, take good enough breaths to maintain oxygen saturations. There's nothing else one can do. If you add underlying kidney disease into this mix when they can't regulate their pH as well, then they start to have more uh, arrhythmias and, and things get worse. So how do we avoid it? In the first place, we don't want to get to that point. We don't want to get to that point where there's oxygen uh, or a ventilator needed. And so it's time to practice your breathing. It's time to, to learn to take good diaphragmatic breaths. It's time to practice your posture so that your ribs are over. Um, they're, they're sitting um, perpendicular to your pelvis. They're over your spine so that everything is nice and straight. Breath should be initiated through the from the diaphragm, so you're expanding your, your ribs. You're bringing your, actually, the, the diaphragm goes down and the air is drawn into the bottom of the lungs and gradually expands 
Um, the lungs till it gets all the way to the top at the end. It is a very calm, easy, slow, methodical breath in as well as controlled out. It stimulates the diaphragm, decreases inflammation, decreases parasympathetic tone, decreases heart rate, decreases blood pressure. It also works the muscles. So one of the other things that is good about exercise is that when you breathe a little bit hard, you're exercising your lung muscles, you're exercising your intercostal muscles, and you can practice your diaphragmatic breathing. I thought it was really, really interesting uh, watching the Olympic tracks uh, athletes when they finished and, you know, they're laying on the, on the track after having given their best effort and their stomach is just going up and down, up and down. Their ribs are going out and out and out. And it's just such a wonderful demonstration of true diaphragmatic breathing, very calming. Uh, so the more they can do that, the more um, they can utilize fat, you know, and, and, uh, and maintain their oxygenation. So it's a good thing. First thing in the morning, take a little time. You can sit, uh, you brush your teeth, you know, take a seat uh, in a nice chair that's upright or better yet, stand and do some nice slow breaths. You can look at a phone, take a breath, breath in for five seconds, out for five seconds, do that a few times. See if you can go in for six or seven or eight or 10. See what your respiration rate is. Um, it's a good time to do it at, you know, at other meal times, perhaps at bedtime, you're taking those nice deep breaths. If you wake up and you can't sleep, it's also a nice time to take a very long, slow, deep inspiration in and breath out. Practice it all day long. You start to get road rage, wait in line in traffic, wait in line for the groceries again, practice those deep breaths. So if somebody looked at you, they should not be able to see you taking those big diaphragmatic breaths. You're sneaking them in nice and slow inspiration, nice and slow expiration. Nobody should see you breathe. They wonder, hey, are they, are they really breathing? So this weekend will be Labor Day weekend, traditionally in another life. My family used to have ribs on most of the Labor Day, 4th of July, 30th of May uh, celebrations. And of course, we'd have corn on the cob and what we would call good potatoes. And they were basically roasted potatoes with some uh, that were seasoned. So we'll probably still do some roasted potatoes. Um, I got giant beets in my Misfits box this week, so I think I might uh, do the roasted beets as well as roasted potatoes, uh, large salad, a big kale salad, and corn on the cob, and we will do perhaps carrot dogs. We might have C10 ribs. We'll just have to see, have to see a consensus uh, the other thing would be uh, jackfruit burgers. That's always a, a, a good hit, too. So jackfruit, oats, seasoning. Uh, you can put a little barbecue sauce on that. Always is good. Um, and do some baked beans. Uh, so that's great. If you haven't seen our cookbook, um, we've got a bunch of those recipes in that. Uh, most of those recipes are in that cookbook. You can go over to Amazon and get it. Plant-Based Wellness Cookbook, The Doctor, The Dietitian, and The Diva. If you're into coffee, Sophie Says is a um, code that'll get you a little bit off on Grounds and Hounds Coffee. I like their, um, they, they help support rescue, anim, rescue dogs and uh, um, various humane societies, so I, I like to donate to them. And if you want to learn more about our practice, go over to drdelaney.com. It's spelled D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y.com. You can email me at jamie at drdelaney.com. 
appreciate any comments and feedback. I'd like to thank all the people that have commented recently uh, on um, the, the, the recent podcast um, and um, appreciating the information that I give. I'm not sponsored. Uh, I'm not paid by any drug companies. I'm not owned by a hospital. So I get to make my own decisions. And I try to make decisions that are based on what I do for my family uh, and best practice that I can, uh, can come up with at a time. I'm open-minded. I'm willing to change anytime I think that there is an improvement or something that I can do that's better. But I'm also not one of those people that jump on the bandwagon. Anything new comes along. So I believe in the body's ability to heal itself, given the opportunity, take the toxins out, provide good nutrition. Um, and I think we can, we can do uh, a lot to improve our overall health that way. So if you have any questions, please feel free to email me. Otherwise, have a very safe Labor Day. I always want to put gums in the 4th of July mode. Have a very safe Labor Day, and I'll see you after the um, Alamo 50K and give you a race report. How about that? All right. Thanks for listening.